Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a busy show for you today. The Super Bowl matchup is set. The L.A. Rams, in controversial fashion, get to the Super Bowl. We'll take on the New England Patriots in Atlanta on February 3rd. So we have two whole weeks to get ready for the big game. We're going to get that process started today. I'll be joined later in the show by Mark Malusis, best known as the Moose, the co-host of Taz and the Moose on CBS Sports Radio. Also contributes to SNY. He's worked on WFAN Sunday morning football show. He's all over the place in the New York area. So if you are familiar with sports coverage, you've definitely heard or seen him somewhere. So he's got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Show me the money. Also back. No actual NFL games this week, but... I'm going to be joined by a friend of mine, Kevin Lillis, a notable gambler, and we are going to break down all the different ways you can bet the Super Bowl. There are lots of things you can do besides just the usual spread bets. A lot of interesting stuff that you can do. Kevin and I can break that all down for you later in the show. Be sure you're locked in until the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill. I'll break down the Hall of Fame announcement from Major League Baseball. Mariano Rivera makes history the first ever unanimous inductee into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Break down what that means at the end of the show. But we'll get our all with our opening tip, where we'll break down the two big games from the weekend right after this. Bad snap. The kick is good. Rams win it. And on to Super Bowl 53, they go. All right, and we're back with this week's opening tip. That call you just heard, courtesy of Joe Buck on Fox. The Los Angeles Rams, led by that 57-yard field goal from Greg Zerline, that would have been good for 67. They are on to the Super Bowl in controversial fashion. This was a great day of football. Two overtime games in the conference championship round for the first time ever. And we are not even talking about that fact. We are talking about referees. But we'll get there. We'll start off with the Rams-Saint game. That game early on looked like the Rams were going to get run out of the building. The crowd noise in the Superdome is no joke, and between Whistling Man, who ruined our ears on the on listening to the game at home, his whistling every play of the game, and the Rams could not even get lined up. They were getting false starts all over the place. It was incredibly bad. That whole game turned around when they ran that fake punt, and it's funny because that happened to the Saints last week when they ran the fake punt against the Eagles and turned their whole fortunes around. The, the Saints were up 13-0 at that point, about to go bury the game. The Rams got the ball, kept the ball, got a score, stabilized that game. And for a while, it looked like they were still going to find a way to lose because Sean McVay did some weird things this game. Didn't use Todd Gurley a lot, which was really weird because the guy scored over 20 touchdowns in the regular season. And he's in a timeshare with C.J. Anderson? Really? C.J. Anderson, who was cut by three different teams, that guy is equal timeshare with Todd Gurley, the best running back in the league? That thing was confusing. The other thing that was strange, late in the fourth quarter, when they are down 20-17, to 17, fourth and goal, goal from the one-yard line, he opts to take the tie. Now, look, I, I don't fault Sean McVay here. I probably would have taken the tie, too, because let's be honest, in that situation of the game, if you don't get the points, you're never going to live down the fact that you could have at least had the game tied. He lived the fight another day, and on we go. The Saints did not help themselves out. After they hit that big play attack again under the two-minute warning, has some strange play calling. First, they pass on first down. The Rams had two timeouts left, so you would think run the ball twice, make them burn timeouts, take a shot at the end zone. If you don't hit it, they take a sack, kick field goal, run the clock down. 
they threw a pass and it was incomplete. Now, yesterday, I'm recording this on Wednesday, uh, Saints special teams coordinator Mike Westhoff went on WFAN, talked to Mike Francesa, and said that play was an RPO. And then Drew Brees checked out of the run and went to the pass. That's a bad decision because unless you complete that pass and he threw it low and hit the ground, you have to keep the clock moving. You must keep the clock rolling. It's simple as that. You cannot afford to let the clock stop. And then they run on second down, get stuffed, call timeout, and then the player waiting for. Third down for the Saints. They throw the little wheel route to the outside to Tommy Lewis. Nickel Roby Coleman gets there about three seconds with the ball, blasts the receiver, helmet to helmet, no call. No call. I don't know how that's possible. And you want to go on, you can talk about how the Saints blew this game, their defense couldn't stop the Rams after this play, after they kicked the field goal. The Breeze threw a pick on the first play overtime when future, I'm calling calling it now, future Jet uh, Dante Fowler hits him and the ball gets picked off by Jack Johnson. By John Johnson, not Jack Johnson, excuse me. So that's going on, but the fact of the matter is, this game is over if the referees throw the flag. It's over. It's first and goal at the five. The Rams have one timeout left. The Saints are running that clock down. They're kicking a chip shot field goal. They're going to the Super Bowl. Instead, the refs don't throw the flag, and the wrong team got there. They take nothing away from the Rams. The Rams play a very good football game. The Rams were a very good football team. They deserve to be where they are, but that game got taken away from the Saints. That game got taken away from them, and the fact that that happened is outrageous. Sean Payton, after the game, spoke to reporters, said he was called by the league right afterwards. And here's what the league had to say from Sean Payton. Sean, what explanation did you get? It was simple. They blew the call. They said it should never have not been a call. They said not only was it interference, it was helmet to helmet. There were two calls. They just they couldn't believe it. Sean, did you call so that them? Was, did you call them or they called you? No. We spoke initially, then I called to follow up. And the first thing Al said when I got on the phone, we messed it up. We messed it up. That's all the NFL title officiating can say to the Saints. We messed it up. You messed up a lot. Careers are made on this game. Careers get altered by the fact, and legacies get altered by the fact the Saints did not make a Super Bowl. Drew Brees might not get back there. His legacy looks a lot different if he wins the second Super Bowl and gets another one with the Saints. Sean Payton joins elite company in coaching circles if he gets the Saints for second Super Bowl and wins it. All that out the window because the referee did not throw a flag, and that's inexcusable. This is the spotlight Sunday outside the Super Bowl. This is the biggest day of games, and all we're talking about is a stupid flag. This is a joke. And that we barely had time to adjust that game before we got to the night game with the Patriots and the Chiefs. And that game had its own set of issues. We'll get to the refs there, but they were not the big factor in this game. This one, the Chiefs screwed themselves quite a bit. Number one, and I got there, Andy Reid, what are you doing giving the football to Tom Brady to start the game? All I'd heard on the radio all week was the Patriots want the football first so they can go down, score, take the crowd out of the game, and chew up some clock, keep Patrick on the sideline. What do they do? They give Brady the ball they take eight minutes. They score a touchdown, 7 nothing. Chiefs go three and out. Patriots are back on the doorstep again. 
Are you kidding me? Did you not pay any attention to what's going on here? The Patriots know what you want to do. The Patriots know that they need to take your crowd of the game and keep Patrick Holmes on the sideline. Them being up 7-0 changed the early tempo of that game because the Chiefs were not prepared to be playing catch-up that early. And it took them a long time to get in this football game. Another one that came back to by Andy Reid. In the two-minute drill in the first half, the Patriots had the football. They're kind of, you know, going along like, okay, whatever happens, what happens, whatever. On the second down, they stop them. They call a timeout to try and get the ball back. They were only down seven at this point. I'm, my opinion, I would have said, okay, I'm not going to force the issue here. If they go three and out, fine. We'll, kick, we'll take the timeout then. But Andy got greedy. What happens? Next play, Pages go for 40 yards, go down, score again. It's 14 nothing at the half. That was a big deal. That's just bad managing. Then we have the second half. We have the whole comedy of errors from the referees and stuff. So over that whole ridiculous overturn, the muff punt from Julian Edelman, from Julian Edelman where that thing was being analyzed like the freaking Magruder film. And everyone's just staring at it like, did it touch his fingertip? Did it touch his elbow? Did it touch his arm? Did he touch his pinky? You know what? I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell if it did or not. But the call on the field was that he touched him. How are we spending 10 minutes looking at this replay and finding something to conclusively say he did not touch the football? This is the thing that bugs you at the replay system. It drives me insane. It's right in the rule that you need clear and convincing evidence to overturn a call. There's none there. If you're staring at the thing for five minutes trying to find a replay and find something going on, it's not clear and convincing. You leave it alone, you move on. And as Tony Romo eloquently pointed out, ball don't lie. Next sequence, the ball bounces off Edelman's hands, right into the hands of Daniel Sorensen, and the Chiefs get it back. And the refs continue to have some bad moments in this game. Later in the game, in that drive, we all saw the Tom Brady roughing the passer play where literally Chris Jones just slapped his chest with a swipe and got thrown for 15 yards. That was bad. That extended the drive and gave the Patriots 15 free yards they didn't need. And the end of this game, if you're a Patriot hater, was just so frustrating because the, the Chiefs go down. They finally take the lead. Patriots go down, score again, and this game was over at one point. Tom Brady threw a ball off the fingertips of Rod Gronkowski, gets picked off, ball game over, right? Wrong. D Ford lined up offsides. He was lining up like basically right next to the left tackle. You have one job. You're on the defensive line. Look for the freaking football. If you see that your hands in front of the football, you back up. His decision to lap offsides cost Chiefs this football game because we go to overtime, Pitch win the coin toss, and the Chiefs cannot get off the field at all. They give three long third downs, third and 10, Edelman twice hits those, and a third and nine to Gronkowski, and... Tony Romo was basically calling out every play before the pass ran it. He called every one they did. How can Tony Romo see this in the booth and the Chiefs defense and Bob Sutton, who is no longer has a job because of this disaster, how could they not see what the Patriots are trying to do? They just sat back and covered two, let the Pats go right down the field, then they ran it in twice and the game's over. Now, this leads to some discussion because one of the most dynamic players in the National Football League Patrick Mahomes, he didn't get to play in the overtime. 
he was glued to that heated bench watching his defense fall apart. Should they change the overtime rules in the playoffs, guarantee that you get a possession even if your, your team gets out of the touchdown? That's a discussion for another day, but between that and the referees, it's a shame. We had a great Sunday of football, and it got ruined by a horrendous call that's probably one of the worst I've ever seen. It's worse than the tuck rule. The tuck rule was bad, but there was technically one tiny little snip in the rule book that justified it. Nothing justifies not calling that. Not when there's two fouls on the play, and the league has admitted much. They need to change this. There is way too much. There are way too many situations where a pass interference that's called by a ref who doesn't see it can change the outcome of the game. We just had one here that changed what team goes to the Super Bowl, and that's inexcusable. Coming up next, we're going to talk some more football with Mark Belusis right after this. New England tried to play action earlier. I can't see it here. This has to be a run. Second and goal to Burkhead. Burkhead to the end zone. Hello, Super Bowl. New England is heading back again for the third straight year. All right, and we're back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. That clip you just heard was the winning touchdown from the AFC Championship game, courtesy of Jim Nance and Tony Romo on CBS. My guest today, somebody who has been around the New York sports scene for a while, I'm sure if you've listened to a lot of talk, right, you've heard him. He's produced on WFAN for Mike and the Mad Dog. He does their Sunday morning football show. He now has his own national radio show on CBS Sports Radio, Taz and the Moose. And he's also found time to appear on SNY for good measure. Joining me today is Mark Malusis, better known as the Moose. Mark, how are you doing? Mike, what's going on, man? How you doing, buddy? Doing very good. Before we get into it, what's your big takeaway from uh, Conference Championship Weekend? Well, I mean, aside from the blow call down in New Orleans, which I, I, I think is, is certainly grabbed uh, and angered and bothered a lot of NFL fans across the country, because I think a lot of people believe, Mike, that uh, the wrong team is going down to Atlanta representing the AFC, that it should be the NFC, that it should be the Saints uh, there, not the Los Angeles Rams. But besides that, I thought the Rams showed a lot of fight battle and back from 13 nothing down, another 10-point deficit to make that a game late to tie it up at 20. Um, and from the AFC, um, you know, the Patriots beat just marches on. It, it's something historic. We'll never see it again. Eighth straight. AFC Championship game appearance. Now it's the ninth Super Bowl appearance between Belichick and Brady. The names around them change. The performance doesn't. It's just remarkable, Mike. You will never get to see anything like this again in our lifetimes. Yeah, it's, it's truly incredible to see. You have a big game, but like the big takeaway, obviously, I think, is the whole thing with the situation with the blown call with Nickel Roby Coleman and the refs not throwing the flag. What do you think the league should do to avoid situations like we had at the end of this game and avoid having the wrong team go in the Super Bowl? Yeah, you know what, Mike? I, I think there's got to be something put in place in the offseason where they review defensive pass interference, where the maybe uh, you know maybe the head coaches have a challenge or two over the course of the game as well. Um, something of that nature to prevent what happened on Sunday. You, you can't have that hanging over the National Football League for the last uh, you know 72 hours since that game was played, where that's all anybody is really talking about. It's not really a golf or or really McVay in the Los Angeles Rams comeback performance, it's really more so about what happened, what went wrong, how did they blow that call, and all the apologies in the world isn't going to put these teams to give them an opportunity to put them in that scenario. It might be the last opportunity Drew Brees plays in an NFC championship game. It might be the last time that he does 
you know, he's 40 years of age. He's going to be 41 next year. You know, he's, and clearly he showed with his arm strength this year that, um, you know, the age has caught up to him a little bit. But, you know, I think there's going to be some sort of advancement of the replay system, uh, to make a long story short, in the offseason, Mike. And I think they have to, and they have to prevent at all costs what transpired on, the, you know, on Sunday. Yeah, I don't know if you heard yesterday. I think Mike Francesa on WFN had Mike Pereira on from Fox talking about this. And Pereira suggests that they put an eighth official on Cruz and have them sort of be like up in the skybox where they can just sort of watch the TV replays and just blow down like and say, hey, like you guys got to look at this. We got this wrong. What do you think about that kind of idea? Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Uh, I mean, but, you know, there's going to be an advancement. I, you know, I don't mind that. I just want to prevent what happened on Sunday from happening. I mean, so, so it, it could be – you know, it could be put in the coach's hands. It could be an eighth official. I think they also have to do a better job of, of training the officials on the field so they're prepared and they have an understanding of what they need to do. I think they were remarkably inconsistent over the course of this regular season. They lost a lot of experienced guys to retirement. You see a handful of them uh, working for television networks. So I think that's troubling for the National Football League. And I think everybody just wants to be called right. So whether it be a guy up in the skybox uh, watching the game from above and monitoring television, whether it be uh, a replay challenge system, whatever you need to do, Mike, you need to do something to correct uh, what was, I thought, uh, a pretty big injustice. Yeah, did you see the report today from Mike Florio's pro, on pro, pro Football Talk that the league apparently is leaning towards not doing anything? Yeah, I, I did see that. I mean, listen, I you know, I – I, I had to see that in order to believe it. I mean, they're going to get in that room in the competition committee. They can apologize to Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints all they want. But you mean to tell me they're going to sit there and they're going to do absolutely nothing? I'm a, I, I have a hard time seeing that. I really do, Mike. Yeah, it would be a shame if they did nothing because, like, this is something that really ruined what was a great Sunday football game because, like, you were just glued to your TV from, like, 3 o'clock to 10, 10.30 whenever the overtime ended for New England. Yeah, it was seven great hours of football, and it was uh, the first championship Sunday in which um, he had two overtime games. It was a great day of NFL football. It was absolutely fantastic. However, that non-call in the Saints game um, hindered it all. I mean, it affected it all, and the, the way you look at that day and the talking points coming out of it, because that's really all the conversation's been about. It's been about two things, that that bold call, it's also been about the overtime rules and whether or not there should be an adjustment to overtime rules. Yeah, that's actually where I was going to go next because that Patriot game ended with Patrick Mahomes, the league, presumably the league MVP, sitting on the sideline just watching his defense fall apart. Do you think they should change the rules that like guarantee him a possession in overtime so that the bet leagues, some of these best players don't just sit there watching helpless as their teams lose? You know what, Mike, I don't. You know why I don't? Because I think you played some defense and the Chiefs could have got a stop there and clearly pre- prevented the – New England Patriots from going into the end zone. There is that argument in that aspect as well. Play a little defense. Get a stop. Do something defensively. You did nothing all day long, and it cost the defensive coordinator Bob Sutton his job. So, no, I mean, you win the coin toss. And listen, the, the New Orleans Saints won the coin toss in overtime. They lost the game. Um, you know, the, the New England Patriots won the coin toss, and they won the game. So, we can make arguments all we want. The, you know, defensively, you can go make a stop Patriots had three third down, three or four third down conversions on that drive in overtime, a third and nine, a third and ten, a third and eight, and they kept on converting. And they kept on going to either Julian Edelman or Rob Gronkowski. And the Kansas City Chiefs made little to no defensive adjustment over the course of that game, which which obviously uh, sent them packing home early. 
Yeah, I also heard another interesting idea about the overtime situation. I think the college idea I don't like because I think it's just like leading to way too much uh, like scoring, which I don't think that is necessary. But like Evan Roberts and WFAN the other day said, why not get rid of the coin toss? Just like sort of start overtime where the regulation ended, just have, continue the game. So sort of like where the Patriots had the ball at the end of regulation, just pick up from there. That way the coin toss is not the issue there. It's just all the way on the defense. Um, I don't know if I love that. I mean, you could. Uh, I mean, that would be, you know, you know, the game ends in overtime. But, but let me ask you this: Then what happens when a team has possession at the end of the fourth quarter? So, if a team, then they're going to continue to just run offensive plays, knowing that they're going to have the possession starting overtime. Or are we starting overtime anew? Yeah, that's a, that's a that's an interesting question because I haven't thought that far into detail. It's something I just thought was interesting. Yeah, no, that's that, that's fair. But I, I mean, you could have then. If a team is driving late in the game to try and get in a field goal range, if they know that they're going to get the football to start overtime in the position that they're in, there's really no rush. You know, they 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 can they can take their time, and you know, they're if they're in you know if they're in field goal range, maybe they're just on the outskirts of field goal range, and knowing that they're going to get the ball right there to begin overtime, then there's no need to push the ball down the field. They can they can get the ball there to start overtime and go from there. Yeah, that's a whole other discussion. I don't think that is going to happen on that front, though, because I don't think that's as pressing as the rest. But we have a Super Bowl matchup in place. We have the Rams and the Patriots. 17 years to the day of the first matchup, which is actually pretty incredible. Yeah, it is. And it's going to be a good one. Um, and I'm looking forward down in Atlanta. It'd be great if it was outdoors and not in the dome. But and you know, it's a tremendous building that Arthur Blank built out there. Um, I, think, I, think it's going to be, I think it's going to be an intriguing one because – I think the New England Patriots have embraced this idea of up against the us against the world, Mike. And I think you look at the Los Angeles Rams; they've gotten a little bit better defensively here. And Dominican Sue's played better the last couple of weeks. The health of a key to leave of health has helped. Uh, Jared Goff certainly took a step forward with his performance Sunday down in New Orleans throwing the football. So um, it's uh, a brilliant offensive mind in McVeigh. And, and the defensive mind of Phillips against uh, McDaniels and Belichick and Flores, so it'll be a lot of fun. It's interesting, too, how the roles flip the first time around because the first time around, the Rams, the juggernaut, the Patriots, like the underdogs coming in, try and start their run. Now the Patriots have been on top of the league and the Rams are coming in as the underdogs. Yeah, that's true. You know, but how decided of an underdog? I mean, I, you know, if you go all the way back to that, you know, that greatest show on turf offense, Bart, um, there were a lot of people that thought New England had a chance in that game. Uh, you know, coming off the, the tuck rule and the Raiders. Uh, and the, the Rams were the defending champs, and they had, you know, Isaac Bruce and Curtis Warner and Falk and, and everything like they, they were That team was absolutely loaded, and no one really thought they were going to lose that game. And it was a great game plan by the Patriots to be physical at the point of attack. Very similar to what they did against the Chiefs in the first half in the AFC Championship game making guys uncomfortable and doing their job. And it took a long time for the Rams finally to adjust and uh, go to that no-huddle offense. Once they did, they went through that defense very, very easily. But unfortunately for them, they did it too late. Yeah, now they get their chance of revenge uh, 17 years later. But let's go to the local teams for a little bit. You've done some local stuff on WFAN on the weekends on the Sunday morning football show. So let's go to the Giants first. Who do you think the Giant quarterback is next season? I think it's Eli Manning right now, Mike. Uh, I do. Um, I, I, I think maybe they reach a deal in which uh, he takes a little bit of a pay cut. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be Nick Foles. I don't think Gettleman is going to draft a, 
a quarterback with the sixth overall pick. I, I certainly I, I have a hard time envisioning he's drafting Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins with the sixth overall pick. Murray more so for his size, and Murray and 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 Haskins more so for about the fact that he's a little bit raw. And Gentleman told me after the season that you know his draft pick is draft the best player on the board, and I don't know if they'll, you know, either one of those guys is going to be the best player on the board. Now, with that being said. There's not a lot of other options. You look at Nick Foles. If we have to see how his contract scenario plays out down in Philadelphia, but say if they work out a deal, I doubt the Philadelphia Eagles are going to work out a trade with the Giants and trade him in the division. So right now, I think it's going to be Eli Manning. Yeah, I think it'd be wise to sit out this quarterback draft class in the draft. I feel like next year's going to be much stronger, and you have guys like Tua Tagovailoa and Justin Herbert coming out. Yeah, I think so, and I agree with you. And, you know, the Giants are open that they're maybe been not at the top of that draft, uh, you know, in order to draft one of those two guys. But, yeah, unfortunately, it's, it's also about timing when you can get that next franchise quarterback. And I think the big lesson you got to learn from other teams is don't reach. Even though you're looking for that quarterback, don't convince yourself that this guy is the guy um, when, when you're trying to find that guy because you can make a lot of mistakes, as we've seen with teams doing in the past. Yeah, for sure. The Giants still looking for their quarterback. The Jets probably have theirs in San Darnold, but they made an interesting choice to hire Adam Gase to coach him. Do you think they made the right choice there? You know, I would have gone McCarthy. Um, I would have. Uh, I know he was a very, very popular pick. I, I would have been interested to see what Matt Rule could do. He did too. The, the former Temple, current Baylor head coach on the college level. Um, and the, the, the issue I have with Gase is this, is, you see guys, historically speaking, that jump right back into head coaching opportunities after a failure, and the success rate is very, very low. Because they're not humble. They haven't really learned all that much. He got rewarded with a job that's probably a better job than the one that he just left. And, and that's the problem I have with the hiring. I, I think he's a good coach. I think he's got to learn how to communicate with players. Um, certainly there was issues down in Miami uh, with uh, relating and communicating with those players. So he's got issues. Uh, there's no question about it now. He's got a good staff. I like the hiring of Greg Williams. I do think he's probably a, a better coach right now than what Todd Bowles was um, after, you know, before they fired him. So I was a Bowles supporter. Um, but I, I think the hiring is okay. I don't think it's a home run. The thing that scares you at the hire is the fact that they have all this money they got to spend to get players to come here. And I don't know if a lot of people want to come play for Adam Gates because he already ran like Jay Ajayi and Jarvis Landry out of town in Miami. Yeah, Mike, I think that's a great point. I mean, if, if the money is comparable, do you want to play with Adam Gaze and the Jets? Um, now, if the money is not comparable, we know this. Guys want to get paid. I don't, I don't blame them, and they'll deal with headaches or play for a team that maybe not maybe not wasn't their number one choice, but if they're going to get paid a lot more money, they're going to do it. But, Mike, there was an opportunity to kind of take risk out of the hire as much as you possibly can. Um, and I think the Jets embraced risk, which is surprising. Um, you know, they, they had an issue with Matt Rule wanting to put together his own staff. They might have they had an issue with McCarthy in terms of maybe wanting a little power within the organization, and they're left with a guy that, that just failed out of Miami in the division and bringing him in to be the answer for the Jets. Uh, and that's why I think it's a difficult sell. Yeah, we're going to see how that plays out. Let's go to baseball for a minute because there's a lot of baseball obsession in this town. Which of the two New York, New York teams think has had a better offseason so far, the Mets or the Yankees? Uh, different. I mean, you know, Mike, I know you're a huge baseball fan as well. I think they're a little bit different. I think the Yankees are trying to plug what many believe are, you know, the, the perceived holes. I mean, listen, I think the Yankee bullpen is. At the end of last year, they were loaded. 
I think the Yankee bullpen right now is loaded. I think they're starting rotation with adding and trading for Paxton from Seattle, bringing back Jay Happ as well. I think their starting rotation is good enough. I, I think for the Yankees, a lot of the answers to some of the questions uh, are coming internally. Is Gary Sanchez going to bounce back? Will John Carlo stand be better, uh, better situational hitter year two in the American League than he was year one? Will he adjust the American League pitching? Uh, can they stay healthy? Um, and is this the finished product we're looking at right now? I, I think it'd be intriguing if the Yankees didn't sign either one of Machado or Harper this offseason. Conversely, you know, the Mets are trying to change the perception and, and turn things over a little bit. And I, I give Brody Van Wagenen a lot of credit for being creative in the solid fashion that he's done it with some limitations financially. So I think they're both better teams. I think the Mets are uh, a vastly improved bullpen. I think Robbie Cano will hit the first couple of years in a Mets uniform. I think they're both improved. I think they've both had good off-seasons uh, for a completely different reason. Yeah, they've, they've got a lot of still work to do. I feel like both teams had areas they could improve on, but that's discussed for another day. Last thing, Hall of Fame class came out yesterday. Mariano Rivera, the first player ever to get 100% of the vote. What's your takeaway from that Hall of Fame group that came out yesterday? You know, I like the group, Mike. How about you? I mean, I, I think it's a, you know, you look at Halliday, Rivera, Mucina. Um, you know, I, 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 think it's a, I think it's a pretty, and Edgar Martinez, who's as good of a pure hitter as you'll ever see. I think it's a good group. Uh, you know, I think it's an interesting group of four. Um, I, I always thought it was nonsense that nobody got 100% of the vote. I guess it's fitting that Mariano got it. A Yankee was the first to get it uh, in the history of this voting process. But there are other guys, Tom Seaver, Ricky Henderson, Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, open down the line, there are guys that I don't understand how you kept them off the ballot, but people did. So uh, Rivera fittingly gets it. Um, and um, I, I think a, a deserve an honor for a guy who was unbelievable for 19 years. Yeah, that was awesome. Friend of the podcast, Marquio Puccio, was there yesterday. He actually filmed the reaction of Mariano's family getting the call for 100% of the vote, and that was pretty awesome video to watch. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I mean, what, a, what a time to be there in person with the Rivera's and watching him get that call. I mean, that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Yeah, Martino teased it on the podcast last week, so I had to give him a shout-out. And as far as the actual uh, class goes, like the thing that surprised me still is Bonds and Clemens still are stuck at like 60%. I feel like they just don't gain votes for whatever reason. I don't understand it. Yeah, well, I mean, it, I think it's all about the P&E use. You know, if I had a vote, I'd put both of them in because I think they were both Hall of Famers before they started using performance-enhancing drugs. But, you know, there is this stench that that's around that because of of all the, the drug use during the time and the performance-enhancing drugs. And I know there was no testing policy, but I think it bothers a lot of people, and certainly guys that are voting for the Hall of Fame, they want to try and keep it as clean as they possibly could, which I think is an impossibility because I think there are guys that we would never think about that were doing PEDs, that were doing PEDs. So I don't think the Hall of Fame is up in Cooperstown is completely clean, but certainly those guys, uh, they're going to find a difficult way in. Yeah, we'll see what happens next year when Derek Jeter is really the only locked first-timer on the ballot. Mark, thanks for all the time. Before you go, can let everybody know how to follow you on social media and some of the other stuff you're up to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm on SNY, as you mentioned, five days a week. At night, Geico Sports Night, do some of the early shows. I, I host, uh, co-host Taz and the Moose Monday through Friday on CBS Sports Radio from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And, uh, you know, you can hit me up on Twitter, at Mark Molusis for the sake. I follow you on Twitter. Everybody else should as well. Mark, thanks for the time. Hey, Mike, I appreciate it, man. Best of luck with everything, bud. Thank you, Mark.
All right, that was Mark Malusis talking NFL football, a little baseball up next. Show me the money, Pro Bowl Week edition, right after this. Show me the money. All right, and we're back. Show me the money. Pro NFL picks. Not really any picks this week. This is the Pro Bowl week, bye week for the Super Bowl, but we have some business to attend to. We have some gambling matters to discuss. Joining me today is a guy you last heard in week eight of the NFL season and one of the best gambling guys I know. Kevin Lillis is back with us on the podcast. <laughs> Kevin, how are you? Mike, I don't know if I deserve that honor. I'm pretty good. I'm not that good. <laughs> hey, you did say this the last time you were here. I liked a little bit of danger in my life. I mean, come on. You're the perfect fit for this segment. <laughs> well, what can I say? I'm a man of many trades. Yes, indeed. So before we get into the actual reason we're here, which is the ways you can bet on the Super Bowl next week, what did you think of the conference championship weekends? What was your big takeaway from these two games? Uh, I hated both of the. I hated the results of both of the games. I hated um, the fact that New England is now in another Super Bowl, and I hated the how, how the, the poor officiating in the Saints Rams game. It was just that was that was awful. Yeah, it was such a shame because I was pulling for that St. Chiefs Super Bowl and instead we got the exact opposite. And that blown call, man, I've got to tell you, they, they have to do something about that. They can't let this happen again. It's un- it really is unbelievable, Mike. They, they, they really need to come up with either like adding another judge, like sit in the box with all the replay opportunities, or they're going to have to start penalizing these crews. They can't just keep going on like this and not have any kind of consequences. Yeah, for, for sure. Instead, we have a Ram Patriots Super Bowl. That game started, the spread, started Rams minus one, quickly shifted. Now the Patriots are fair by two and a half points. How do you feel about that line right now? How do you think that feels in terms of the game? I, I don't want to touch it, honestly. I just, I, I, hate, I hate these kind of these, these kind of lines because you don't know. It, it's just almost like a pick em kind of kind of thing. You, it, for, for me, honestly, I, would, I, I wouldn't pick either, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, this is one where like you want to stay away from it because just because you're like you said, it's so close and it's like you can't really get covered one way or the other. It's like exactly, it's it's only a two and a half point spread right now. So like it's not even like I did last week with the Rams. It's like oh, you know, like if they it's a field goal game, I get the cover, but you don't get that here. But if I had to pick, I think I would pick the Rams. But that's only because my heart is telling me to because I'm a, like a rabid Jet fan and I. I really don't want to see the Lombardi Trophy going to the New England Patriots again. All right, let's go on. Let's go on because we got touched on the money line, but there are on the spray. But there's more than one way to bet on the Super Bowl, so more outside the box options here. Oh, um, these are my favorite. Yeah, the over under. I like that. Fifty-seven and a half points. I feel like the over is a good play here. I always will root for the over in the Super Bowl. Because it's really hard betting for the like rooting for the under. I mean, the, the more points, the better. You could always, you know, go and feed your mouth full of buffalo wings or something and see a touchdown and go like, yes, there we go. Like, let's go for that over. Let's keep going. And, you know, you, you're not rooting for either team. It's you're you're rooting for over the score. It's it's, it's it's perfect. Yeah, I like that bet as well. Let's go to the box pool, which is the most popular. I feel like in the offices, some of the parties. Can you break down everybody how the box pool works? Box pool is pretty easy. I mean, we we I've done it for a long time in in bars, especially like a, 
but um, basically you get, you know, put your name in a box and then you'll be assigned, um, like say each box is one through a hundred and you can pick whatever, whatever box. A lot of people like to pick the numbers that they feel are lucky with. Like me, I would pick 30, I would pick 15, I would pick 19, I would pick 60. Those are some of my favorite numbers to pick. And largely it'll come down how the cards are dealt out when, you know, time comes that the, the numbers need to go across for the home team and, uh, and down for the away team, um, zero through, uh, you know, ace or whatever is what we used to do, or one through, or two through ace, excuse me. Um, and then you'd be able to figure out, you know, the, you'd be able to figure out what your, uh, what your box will be when it lines up, like, say, if it's 2-2 two, two or 2-5 or... It, that, that that's the easiest way for people to to play in 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 box in box pools. Yeah, you get yeah you the box pool. You put your you put your your ten bucks in, your twenty bucks in. You buy a box, get a pair of numbers. Say like like you said, the two two. Those are the last digits of the score for each team. So at the end of each yeah. quarter, you can win a prize if your numbers it matches your numbers. And some the bigger you go, the more prize there are. I've, I've heard of pools where like if. You're, if the number touches the winning box, yes. you can win money. But that's you're talking about like thousands of dollars. Some of those boxes. That, that that that's really to get more people to 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 come back really to go to back to those pools because it's really not fun uh, when it's just going to one person. You know, you like to have more people you know being exposed to this. So those those kind of touch pools are are cool. But man, it's it's nice when you're when you hit the final box and the in the final score and you walk away with five grand. That that, that 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 can really make your night, but you know, making your money back still by touching a box could uh, could definitely make your night as well. Yeah, I like to do a couple of these every year. I like to spray myself out, and not all in on one box pool. I do at least like three or four box pools, and I run one as well. So, yeah, I'm the same way. You got to be in it to win it. Yeah, let's go to the ten line pool next. The ten line. You want to explain how the ten line pool works? Uh, it's similar to like box pool, but it's there's usually ten lines, and everyone fills out a random uh, blank line. And then they'll dish out cards the same way, and uh, score. Like say, if it's twenty twenty, if someone has zero, then they then they won the the, the money. But I, I don't think there's any other variations of that, like like scores touching. I don't think that could work. No, I don't think it works on that one. That one is specifically, it's like you just take the final score, take the last digit of it from both teams, add it together, you get one number, and if your number hits at the end of the game, you win. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to my favorite part of this: the prop bets. Prop bets, I love because there's so many different ridiculous things you can do with prop bets in this game. So, like, where have you? I sent you a list of prop bets the other day. What are some of your favorites? My, like my favorite prop bets, are obviously the national anthem is going to be a good one. Um, I think Gladys Knight is singing it this year, uh, so they got those bets whether it's going to be over two minutes. Um, that then the you know there's a lot of political bets with within that you know whether this woman's going to be taking a knee during the national anthem or putting a you know fist up in the air and then really trying to get you know will other players be doing the same thing on the sideline you're going to have a uh, whole list of prop bets so even down to like what color the Gatorade is going to be that gets thrown on the coach um, you you can have a lot of fun with this and you can even have your own bets like um, simple like will the next play result in a first down or something like that or but um, they they can they can be some of the most fun. You could throw a dollar down on um, whatever, and you know, split with like a group of guys if anyone has any cash on them. All right, let me give you some of my favorite prop bets. I went through the list. I pulled out some of my favorite ones. I like your reaction to some of these. Go ahead. Okay, you mentioned the Gladys Knight bet. Will she take a knee or raise a fist during a national anthem? Yes, plus six hundred. No, minus a thousand. She's not taking a knee or putting up a fist. No way would she do that. 
Yeah, that one. <laughs> I think clearly and clearly a no. I like she would have gotten yeah, the, gotten the gig if she was gonna do that. Next one. Will Jim Nan say hello, friends? And he opens the broadcast. Yes, minus ten thousand on that one. Wait, hello, friends, or like with the N in like hello friends like is it going to be the actual hello, like hello like, a, like his usual hello friends when he starts the game he will do that that's that's his that's his that's his call that's what he does yeah okay next up the total number of times president trump tweets during the game over under one. Oh, that's over yeah. definitely over okay this one is one of my favorite ones which total is higher the total days of the government shutdown on Super Bowl Sunday or the yardage of the longest touchdown in the game. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So uh, in two weeks' time, when it would be, say, another 14 days on top of the, what has been 33 so far or 32? Something like that, yeah. You're, you're, you're over 50 at that point pretty much, or like right at 50. Oh, wow. You're really old and like Julian Edelman gets a really long touchdown pass or, you know. But right. you're, you're saying it needs to be a pass? Is it just the yards the longest touchdown? It could be a Todd Gurley run. It could be a kick oh, return. Oh, oh. I root for a Todd Gurley run. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's that's one. You mentioned the color of the liquid for on the winning coach. I have the odds here for these in case you're interested. It Go is ahead. clear or water plus two hundred. Mm-hmm. G- green or yellow plus three hundred. Mm-hmm. Red plus four hundred. Orange plus five hundred. Blue plus seven fifty and purple plus a thousand. That's a wide spread there. I don't think I've ever seen purple getting thrown out of one of those things. I have not either. I feel like that's such a long shot. It's not even worth your time. Yeah, but I don't even think that's even Gatorade anymore. I think it's some kind of other kind of electrolyte water. Yeah, that's what's probably going to be clear. But it would be cool if it was red or something like that. That's my favorite color. Yeah, I also love that the bets there's also bets that are not just half the game, specifically, but also stuff like the halftime show and the commercials. Like, there's a bet on there, like. Will Adam Levine first be shown wearing a hat? <laughs> uh, Adam Levine's a weirdo, and I hate the fact that he's going to be in the Super Bowl halftime show. But, I mean, yeah, very well, very well could be wearing a hat. And the last one, which I grab off the commercial list, will Dilly Dilly be said during a Bud Light commercial? You can actually bet on that. Uh, that's kind of like last year. Are they really going to beat a dead horse with this thing? Yeah. Um, I've seen that. I don't know. I've seen that. I've seen the Bud Knight also has bets involved as well. So, I would see something more with the Bud Knight rather than Dilly Dilly. Although they might sneak it in at the end of the Bud Light commercial, or like say the very last one of the of, you know the whole series. Yeah, so that's a lot. Of di- that's a lot of different ways you can make some money on the Super Bowl. You don't have to go crazy like Kevin and I do, but you can also have a lot of fun with it. So, since you're here. Did you not get to do NFL picks last time with the music? I'm going to give you the music, but first I have to reset our pick challenge. Mar- uh-huh. Martino Puccio, he of the viral Mariano Rivero video, was here last week doing picks. He got five points. He had the Pats plus three as his four-point pick. He got the over on the ASC title game. Got that correct as well for one point. Lost with the Saints, laying three and a half for three points, and over in that game is two points. I got six points last week. I had the Rams plus three and a half as my one-point pick. I took the under in the NFC title game for three. I took the over in the AFC game for two. And I lost on the Chiefs minus three as my four-point pick. I lead 18 to nine, so the challengers need some help to get back in this. <laughs> I'll give it my best shot. Okay, so here's what's going to do here. Since there's not a lot of op- options left, I'm going to take a bye week this week. I'm going to get ready for the Super Bowl picks next week. I'm going to let you pick the Pro Bowl straight up 
for three points. So let me give that to you and get the music going here. Uh, we have the NFC-AFC Pro Bowl game in Orlando Sunday, 3 o'clock on ESPN, ABC. There is no line out right now, so I'm going to let you have a straight-up pick. No Chiefs, I mean, no, no uh, Rams or Patriots in this football game. Kevin, who is your pick in this game? I'm going to pick the AFC. And what is what is the motivation? Um, uh, the motivation... All the AFC teams this year, uh, like my favorite the team, I, I said to you in the beginning of the year, the Baltimore Ravens played really well. Uh, for what they learned, uh, San Diego played uh, great, even though they got they got screwed with an eleven and three record. Eventually, having to be in the wild card spot, which is one of the one things I hate about how the NFL is formatted. Um, uh, are sending their kicker, so that's an automatic no problem. <laughs> Um, uh, some of the, but some of the NFC teams really the only, the only you know real dominant ones were the Saints and 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 the Rams. I mean, the Vikings never really didn't have that great of a year. The the Packers didn't have it. You know, they had a kind of deflated year. The Steelers had a deflated year as well, which could be an argument against the AFC. But um, it, it's also the Pro Bowl, so I mean, it, it could be a fifty-fifty shot. But I, I'll just pick the, the AFC for the hell of it. Hey, why not? It's, just, it's a free three points here because I'm not picking this game because I don't want to completely eliminate the challenge before the Super Bowl ends here. So I want to give you guys a fair shot as challengers to get back in this thing. Oh, God, I hope I, I, hope I deliver. All right, so Kevin Willis' pick for the Pro Bowl is the AFC team, and that is your pick for the week. Kevin, thank you for coming on. Before we go, I want to talk about our Super Bowl party we will be at this coming Sunday and two weeks from now at Anthony Calvi's place. Calvi was on our podcast in week 17. You want to give me a sneak peek about what you're looking forward to about this party? Uh, so I've been going to this party for the past... I was talking about this last night. I've been going to this party for like the past 10 years, and it is one of the best times that uh, that you will ever have watching the Super Bowl. I mean, in a, in a living room that could fit really 10 people, he managed to stack like 30 of us all sitting... Indian cross-legged, like, just gorging on subs that are 14 feet in length and, and wings from a variety of different places. And it, it's just a great time to, to, to meet up with some, with some good friends. And, and Calvi is such a gracious host, and his parents are, are, are gracious hosts as well. And I, I really look forward to, to, to this party again. It's, it's something I look forward to every year, and I'm actually considering taking off work the following day just, just to hang around. Yeah, I I also heard you have issue one complaint on on Facebook about this. There's no guacamole. It's obscene. In the past ten years, I've been thinking about this. There has never been guacamole at any of his parties. There's been variations of guacamole dips with like spinach and cheese and all these other things, but there's never been a single bowl of guacamole. So I put it out to the group to tell that the only item that anyone should bring is guacamole. And that's it. That's all we're going to have. We're going to make up for the years that we never had guacamole. That's funny. I was thinking about this, too, because I'm, I didn't even notice the guacamole until you brought it up to me. I, and you're like, he never has it. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. It's a football game. It should be guacamole. It's almost criminal, the fact that there's never been guacamole. He's had like four or five different variations of salsa that no one ever eats, but there's never any guacamole. It's, it's ridiculous. So I'm, 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 I'm stopping that. I'm bringing a big bowl of guacamole that I'm making myself. 
I am going to put this on the podcast as well. I will bring guacamole as well. So we have two different times of guacamole at this part at this party at minimum. <laughs> Bringing more people to the dark side. Yeah, absolutely. You got to bring the guac to the party. You can never be without it. Kevin, before we go, what, any social media you want to plug? Uh, just my Instagram page, Castro Photo, and uh, my website at www.castrophoto.com. That's Castro with a K. Um, I do astrophotography. I did manage to take a picture of that, that blood lunar eclipse on Sunday. Um, so if anyone, it's a, it's a dear hobby of mine. I really love doing it. Uh, so if anyone wants to check it out, just hit, it, hit me up. All right, there you have it, Kevin Willis. Thank you for the time once again, my friend. Thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate it. Great show as always. All right, that was Kevin Lillis with your Pro Bowl pick. This week's dish is showing the money along with some advice on how to gamble in the Super Bowl. Up next, this week's two-minute drill where I break down Mariano Rivera's unanimous election to the Hall of Fame right after this. Amigo, amigo, I have another piece of news. Yes. You are the first person... No! And we're back this week's two-minute drill. That clip you just heard, the Mariano Rivera family celebrating his 100% induction to the Hall of Fame. And with me today, the guy who teased the video last week on the podcast, the guy who has gone viral since then, Martino Puccio, is back with us. Martino, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, Very exhausted, refreshing on Twitter because there's been nonstop notifications the past 48 hours from the video. So doing pretty well. I'm honored that you gave me the tease on the podcast last week and gave me the exclusive kind of, and I'm very pumped to have you back on. You're the first person I've had on two weeks in a row. Well, there you go. I mean, uh, what a way to do it. I mean, hell, that that's I, I, I told you I the tease was a good one. I even tweeted it out uh, earlier that day. Um, what's today? Today's Thursday. The announcement was Tuesday. I tweeted it out earlier in the day. I said, I got a great video for you guys. Yeah. I was like, I promise. And then... Um, then that happened. So yeah, and I heard from you about like five minutes before the actual like they announced it on the network that he made history. I got the text from you saying he did, he did it, and then it was awesome watching that video. Yeah, I mean, um, so what happened was it's it's fine now, obviously, because the announcement came out. But uh, when Jack O'Connell was on the phone call, um, he's saying he's like, please, you guys got to keep it hush until uh, the official announcement's going to be on MLB Network at 6.15. The phone call, they give him like a five-minute heads up. I'll give you like a whole inside thing on how the whole process went. His his agent manager was there, um, and he he was the one in contact with the Baseball Hall of Fame, and they said uh, you should be expecting a phone call within the next five to ten minutes, and – and we all had Mariano and his family set up on the couch um, to get ready for the phone call. We had Mariano mic'd up. Um, and then he got the phone call, and Jack O'Connell's like, hey, like, please keep it hush-hush just for another 45 minutes. I wanted to tell a few people. That's why I wanted to tell you. I wanted to tell uh, one or two other um, uh, people about it. And I know how 
much you love baseball, how interested you are in the Hall of Fame and all this stuff. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. So, let's be clear. It was you were there. The Rivera family was there. Mm-hmm. Mike DeMurray's we've had on the podcast a couple of times there. Anybody else in the room besides those guys? Uh, my mother was there. My mom, <laughs> my mom, my mom came by because we are family friends with the Riveras. Um, so, so we had him in there, uh, my mom in there um, as well. So she got uh, to experience that moment too. Absolutely cool. So the question everybody wants to know here is, how did you end up in there with the camera shooting that moment? Um, so like I, like I teased, uh, prior, it's about my documentary, uh, thesis equivalent that I'll be, uh, putting out, um, in a few months, it'll be officially done. This was one of the moments, uh, that I wanted to record. I sat down with Mariano, uh, in, right around in November, pitched him the idea. He was totally okay with everything. He's been so, so kind, so generous, and been giving me free reins to do whatever I want, whatever I need to film, access to stuff. So I didn't really actually realize that it was five years since he retired. It kind of sneaks up on you on how long ago it was. And I said, wow, okay, the Hall of Fame phone call is there. It's one of the things that I wanted to get down because it is, the documentary is about his baseball career because that's something you can't leave out because that, that is what he's known for but i also wanted to show his philanthropic side so that's kind of the stuff there but i wanted to get in there how to get the clip up as soon as possible try and get a snowball effect get some traction and exposure for myself you got plenty of exposure on that we'll get to that in a second but just to be clear like how did you get in contact with mariano rivera because that's like not an easy person to track down <laughs> um well my my mom is usually in contact with them because she usually helps out with with events my dad has his own uh bread dis- uh, distribution business so we give them bread or pastries whenever they need it for certain events and stuff so we're in contact with them all the time my youngest brother is best friends with his youngest son um, so they, they hang out all the time. We're always in contact. Um, if you want, I could tell you the first time I actually met Mariano. Um, it's funny. This will be good because just on the Suffering Podcast, this is good for Mets fans. Yeah. I woke up from a nap, came downstairs into my kitchen, and lo and behold, Mariano's in there um, with his wife and, and his son, and they're having uh, coffee with my parents. And, he, and he's like, hey, hey, man, what's up with you? I'm like, hey, uh, what's going on? How are you? And he's like, he's like, uh, why are you no Yankees fan? Why, why, why are you a Mets fan, man? And, I, and I, I don't know if I ever told the background story. I might have um, one of the times I was on the podcast, but I, I stopped being a Yankees fan when I was younger because when Andy Pettit got busted for the HGH, that really kind of like broke my heart as a kid because I looked up to Andy Pettit and but I did love Mike Piazza at the same time, so I was like, you know what, Andy's a cheater. I don't like him anymore. I don't like the Yankees. It was a brash decision as, <laughs> as a kid, and it turned out being a terrible one. Um, and who who knows if Piazza's even clean at that at this point too. So, um, so yeah, that that's kind of what happened um, there, and then. It, it's kind of hard to get in contact with Mariano because he's always so busy. He's always doing so much for the community and whatever he has with his business and everything. I think he just announced yesterday or today that he's going to actually be helping the Yankees uh, with pitching. Um, I think he's just going to be a consultant or like a guest just instructor. A coach. Yeah, just a guest instructor. Kind of like what I think Sandy Koufax helped out a lot with the Mets, too. Yeah, yeah Piazza shows up, too. He does that, too. He shows up work mm-hmm. for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's going to be a more of an expanded role than mm-hmm. just an ex- an 
in instructor. So did you tell Mariano the pay story about why you weren't a Yankee fan? Um, I, I well every every time he like brings it up, I think he kind of forgets every now and then. Um, but but it, but it, I was like I was like look listen like I love all the past Yankees like Mickey Mantle is one of my personal favorite players of all time. I just was so fascinated by a guy who was a switch hitter. He was never sober. The guy, the guy was drunk all the time. It just always fascinated me that this guy was by far the best player um, in his league at the time. I mean, there was Willie Mays as well. I mean, you can't, you can't really argue with what Willie did. But just so fascinated by the legends of Babe Ruth. Even when I was a kid, I did, I did stories on Babe Ruth. I, I wrote a, like a small book. Uh, it was one thing that we had to do in sixth grade. I was just fascinated by the Babe and. Um, just all these other players. I, I I love Dandy Pettit, like I said. I just always respected Jeter and all these other guys. It just I just kind of kind of got put off at an age, and you get other friends that were Mets fans that I had, and they were like, "Oh no, like the Yankees buy all these players and blah blah blah. Like you can't like them. They buy World Series." And, and I was like, "Yeah, you're right." And yeah, so <laughs> and again, bad decision. Okay, so how much did your profile blow up when this video went viral because i mean i saw it everywhere i saw it on espn scott van pelt using a sports center it's in the stories yep. on espn yahoo sports illustrated name a few so like how crazy has it was if you with social media so so i could break it down in terms of all the all the stuff so how it have from beginning i wanted to upload it immediately yep. as soon as the announcement was on mlb network i'm like i went right to my phone i'm like upload yeah try to think of a good caption for it, put it out there. I told a couple of uh, people, I, I let you know prior, I was like, hey, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there for the announcement. That's what's going to be up. Yeah, I retweeted like immediately. As soon as, yeah. <laughs> as, as, soon, as, soon as it went up, um, I had a couple other friends. I guess Joe D over here who works at Iona, I guess uh, we were talking about it yesterday. You could see other people's tweets, uh, even though you might not follow them. It's You could see followers of a follower what they what they tweet out if if it gets enough traction then all of a sudden i get home my friend's like you're on bleacher report i'm like what are you talking about i'm on bleacher report because no one dm'd me i've had i've had videos in the past about my grandfather uh giving him a jersey and i've had uh, i've had outlets like dm me about hey can we share this video blah 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 bleacher report never dm'd me about it but they credited me apparently So all my friends who follow the Yankees on Bleacher Report getting the notifications, they're like, wait, is this this Martino Pucci? I'm like, yeah, I mean, how many Martinos do you know? <laughs> um, yeah, that's me. Um, and then it started snowballing and then getting retweets here and there and then Michael K sharing it and then ESPN Assignment Desk, Sports Illustrated, they're all DMing me, um, ABC Local News, CBS Local News, um, all messaging me. Uh, about the video saying hey can we use this can we share this will be live at this time um, and then Richard Deitch of the athletic messaged me he's like he's like hey what is this for why were you there why were you the only like not person in the media but I guess like the technically only- in the media why were you there and then he's like can I ask you a few questions and then I mentioned the documentary and then oh my god the, the thousands um and then Sports Illustrated shared it on uh, Facebook as well. You know what the funny thing was that my mom told me? She is friends with the Mar- Mariano's page on Facebook. 
Mariano's page on Facebook shared the Sports Illustrated video of my video. <laughs> so, so he had access to my video. I could I was like I was like telling him I'm like guys, just like take it wherever you want to put it out. Like just let me know. Like this is out right now. Um so yeah, I mean just I think it's at this point on all platforms it hit over 3 million hits or around 3 million. That's impressive. I mean like my highest like podcast holes in the hundreds. Like, you've like way outdone anything I've ever put out there. <laughs> I'm. I mean, to to be fair, I was given one of the luckiest and most unique opportunities of all time. It is the most unique Hall of Fame call, in my opinion, of all time. I'm not trying to be biased. In 75 year history of the Hall of Fame, no one has been 100. percent Yes, there's extenuating circumstances. Um, the voter pool has gotten smaller over the over the years. Um, there was a. It, it was backed up when the Hall of Fame first started because there were so many worthy players and you couldn't have more than uh, 10 players on a ballot at a time. So that's why guys like Ruth and Cobb really didn't get 100%. Um, but just, man, a guy who was a failed starter, discovered his signature pitch by accident, becomes the greatest at his position, head and shoulders above everyone else. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of his numbers. Regular season numbers are great. Themselves. He's a 221 career ERA. Yep. His whip was an even one in the regular season. is incredible. But the playoff numbers where it takes off. I mean, ERA yeah. of .7. .7 in a 15-year playoff year career. His whip in the playoffs is higher, .76. And my favorite stat I've seen online numerous places, he allowed 11 earned runs in the postseason career. Mm-hmm. There are 12 men who have walked on the moon, so more people have walked on the moon and scored on Mariano Rivera in the playoffs. It's always, it's always, it's gotten to that. That stat has gotten to the point where it's like Todd Frazier is from Tom's River, New Jersey, and yeah. met Derek Jeter in the yeah. league. Where, <laughs> like that's where that stat is reaching, um, and and it really is. It's just absolutely remarkable because. Like, you got a better chance against someone on the moon than you scoring a run on that guy when it matters most. Yeah. And, and, and that was, like, the unique thing because every other time someone scored on him, it's some of the biggest moments in MLB history. Like, the 2004 Red Sox. Yeah. Game the 2001 seven, Game 7 World Series. Luis Gonzalez getting that game-winning RBI. I mean, talk about some moments, yeah. man. Yeah, and the that was the one career postseason loss he had was Game Seven of the World Series. I mean, yeah, I mean, as perfect as a player could be, that was that was his one blemish, and and you'll see it in the documentary, and we'll explain it. I'll I'll be talking about that because it's one of those things that you can't not bring up. Um, it's just it's just like you know, I I don't think it weighs on him as much as some Yankees fans because it's weird because everyone wants the Yankees to lose all the time and that's the one year you could say everyone wanted the Yankees to win so yeah. pretty much everybody wanted them to win that year <laughs> and hard to believe that like as you've mentioned before like the gap between him and the next best guy let's just say, um, pick, take your pick Trevor Hoffman go with Trevor Hoffman, Trevor Hoffman. I mean I, I closer wise but if you want to go relief pitcher I'd say Eckersley, Dennis Eckersley, yeah. for sure. The gap between him and the next best reliever is significantly larger than, say, like between like Babe Ruth and Willie Mays. Here we or go, Hank Barry Aaron. Bonds, whoever, yeah. whoever, if you accept those yeah. guys. And, and that's not just – it's just not even a baseball thing. Yeah. And I, I've been on here talking about soccer. Yeah. There, there's plenty of guys you could debate from different eras. Like a guy at his position, 
It, it is not close, and you know it is not close. And anybody you talk to will not even give you an argument. Yeah. And and the, the only thing is it's have fun debating number two because yeah. there's no point in number one. He he is at this point. It's just it is he is so legendary, and he is he is deserving of that a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, and plus. He is a truly great guy, and you know, oh, yeah. he, he wouldn't have to. He just got seventy or six percent and got in. Like the fact that he got a hundred was not going to be a big deal for him. Whereas, like there are guys on the ballot who would have made like a whole parade about the fact they got the first hundred percent. He, w- yeah, I mean, and you could see how excited he was about it, because and the whole family was excited because when Jack O'Connell, like, I mean, it, it that, still plays in my head. That, it, that amigo moment. It's the amigo moment now, and and. And that's kind of the part to me that still kind of like gives me the chills. It gives you the goosebumps. It's like, amigo, I got one more thing. I and they, he doesn't even like get to finish his sentence. Um, I mean that that that's gonna run on a loop. That's like uh, like uh, behind the bag gets by yeah. Buckner. You know that's it's um, Bill Mazeroski. Um, you know it's it's all these moments. Um, that's, that's in like, baseball history. That's one that's going to be played, like, probably on a loop. Might even make it two Cooperstown, maybe in the Hall of Fame, like, next. <laughs> the, the, honestly, that video, it, it it could be. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> they that, would, that would be cool. They haven't reached out to you yet, the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame has not reached out to me. Um, I'm waiting if they want to call. <laughs> I mean, obviously, look, I mean, it, it's just cool enough to have been there. Everything else is just a plus. Um, I'm I'm extremely thankful, and I I am so lucky. I'm I'm not even gonna say I worked hard. I deserve it. I don't think any of that. I think I think I'm just lucky. I think I'm fortunate. Thank thank God. Thank whoever whoever it is. It's divine intervention. That like I mean, think about it. I if you if you were to tell me at any point in my life that I would be there for that moment, one of the most iconic moments, not in just baseball history, sports history. I, I would call you crazy, and I know it sounds cliche whenever you hear people talk about stuff like that, but it but it really is. It, it, it's a unique moment, and I'll never forget it. I mean, honestly, like you've been on my podcast a couple of times. We mm-hmm. we talked back in about the World Cup back in like back in the summer, and mm-hmm. I told you then. If I told you then, you were gonna be in the room when Rivera gets one hundred percent of the vote. You wouldn't probably wouldn't believe me then. <laughs> 100% of the vote, no. I would if I, if I I was already thinking about the thesis documentary then, I would have thought, yeah, you know what, I'll be there then. But, like, come on. I mean, I walked into the house, too. This is one part I didn't mention. I was talking to them. They know how much I love sports. They The whole family knows about what I'm going to be doing with the documentary and everything. And they're, they're actually very supportive with me and, and, and my uh, aspirations of being a, a sportscaster. And, and they're like, they're like, we kind of know, like, he's at 100%. I was like, honestly, yeah, all the public ballots, there was over 200 released at the time. Um, a lot of them went private. Uh, he was at, he was tracking at 100%. A lot of guys were tracking very high, including, like, the Bonds and Clemens. So even then, you were kind of, like, a little weary of it because you, you knew in the back of your head Bonds and Clemens weren't going to get in this year. But... But to see that he was tracking that well, there was that one Boston writer. His name keeps slipping my mind, but I, I don't even b- b- below or something like that. I, you know what? I don't even want to give the guy attention because I think the whole thing was attention. But the fact that he initially said he wasn't going to vote for Mariano for this and that reason, um, but then he flipped it, and I was like, I, I told him, I was like, guys, I, I think he has a shot. 
Like, there, there's a very real chance that it could happen. And that's why everyone was kind of like, when they heard, like, yeah, you're in the Hall of Fame. But wait, Jack's got something else to say. What does he have to say? Yeah. Is it what we want him to say? So, yeah. Yeah, cause, I mean, there's always a chance he could have said, oh, you know, you're the highest vote getter ever. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it, they could have been the same thing. I know I know there was that video of Griffey as well yeah. um, when they were telling him that. Um, I thought it was kind of funny, though, when Idelson brought it up, when they revealed it on the broadcast. Yeah. And he was like, oh, we got another note on Mariano? He's like, yeah, 100%. Yeah. It wasn't it, – it didn't have that aura of it. Yeah. So that's, I think, what also made the clip that much more special was, like, that's in the moment. That's raw emotion. And that's something, I mean, that is yeah, so rare. Because, I mean, like, when they had Brian Kenny there, it was kind of like uh, – Brian's like – Oh yeah, you forget something? It's like that wasn't they made like such a non big deal out of that. I did I, no, exactly. Yeah. I mean it's not that it bothered me because it just made my video yeah. look that much cooler, yeah. but I mean just like I mean it's it's kinda it's in it was interesting because it, it also let you inside of what a Hall of Fame phone call is like. Yeah. Because you see a couple of guys get the phone call, but this is like this is like he's with his family. You hear Jack O'Connell, um, Mike Demergis's video, it, it, which is which he helped record for me uh, for the documentary that we had Mariano mic'd up. The audio is much better and clear, more clear on Jack O'Connell. Um, that that part where you just where you just hear it, it's so clear, and then you just pair it together with the celebration. I mean, yeah, I mean that's the final baseball celebration that he'll have in one of the most historic careers ever. Yeah, that's very crazy. Thanks, Martino. Thanks for coming on. Before you go, follow you on social media at Martino Puccio. How many followers have you picked up since? I okay. So I think I was. I'm sorry. I got to go check it out because um, I haven't been checking it that much. I think I was at 137 to start um, a couple of days before I uploaded. Now I'm at 295. So right, like around 160 followers. That's good for me because I restarted this Twitter. Um, I, I made my I made a new Twitter account to try and get traction and be a little bit more professional than the former one that I started in high school. But that's where you can find me at Martino Puccio. It is the pinned tweet, so it will be the first thing that you see if you were interested in viewing it. If you have not already have seen it. And when is the documentary dropping? I hope to drop the documentary in May. Um, I'm going to be filming things over the next uh, filming stuff over the next uh, few months. Um, I could keep you updated on that. I, I hope to kind of release some footage over the course of the next few months on the t- on Twitter um, just to just to tease it and, and keep it going because it's a long gap between the end of January to May. So I want to keep it fresh. I want to keep it relevant. Um, so I should be um, uh, releasing it in May, hopefully. Um, not sure on the length yet. Don't have a name, um, but we have that footage, so it's a good start. All right, Martino, thank you for the time. Uh, thanks for having me, Mike. All right, that's Martino Puccio. I want to thank him for being on the show. I want to thank Kevin Lillis for making Pro, uh, Pro Bowl picks and spread talking Super Bowl spreads on Show Me the Money. Also, I want to thank Mark Malusi for coming by to talk NFL and MLB. And he did talk. we did talk about Martino a little bit in that segment, so be sure to check that out again if you missed that at the beginning of the show. Also, if you want more good stuff like this podcast, feel free to check out my blog where I gave you a look at the Australian Open, what happened the first week of the tournament. Check that out there at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. Feel free to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Simply search for Just and the Suffering in the podcast store or the Google Play Music section. 
You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm not as popular as Martino, but at mphillips331, that's M-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-331. Tweet at me with the hashtag uh, prop bets, your favorite prop bets that we discussed earlier in the show. Next week, I will speak to Russell Baxter from Pro Football Guru and Fansite, preview the Super Bowl, break final picks of the year for Show Me the Money, wrap up the tennis. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Saints fans. Mm-hmm.